0: More people die by selfie every year than by shark. Because as people are trying to get that perfect picture, they're backing up in the street and they're getting hit, or they're backing up and they're falling off a cliff, more people die by selfie than by shark. We're in a very me-focused society today, and humility is hard to find. Faith and life. For some people, they're parallel roads. They never come into contact with each other, One never influences the other. Yet for some other people, faith and life are more like intersecting roads. Often they're running opposite each other, but where they do intersect, wonderful God moments can be experienced. But yet for just a few, the two roads merge into one, and the results are truly a highway to heaven. What does the road of faith and life look like in your world? I think all of us in here, if not all, most of us like to know what's expected of us because if we know what's expected of us, we can do it and, and, and do it well. Um, you like to know what's expected of you at work um, because if, if you know what your boss expects of you, then you're able to uh, to do it well and, and to feel a sense of pride and a sense of accomplishment by doing it and doing it well. Um, in relationships, um, if you know what's expected of you of, of whoever you're in a relationship with, um, hopefully. You know that allows you to be able to uh, uh, to uh, do that relationship as good as you possibly can and take some pride and satisfaction and and, and uh, you're, at least you're a part of that parenting, we can go down the list. But I think that's also true spiritually that we want to, we want to have a sense of meaning and we want to have a sense of purpose in our lives. Um, We want to know what it is God expects of us so that we might uh, try to to please him and try to serve him. Now, uh, we can't ever, like totally please God, and that's why we have the cross, and that's why we have Jesus, and so with the understanding that with the cross and with Jesus, uh, that's the only way that we can be pleasing before God, um, God does call for us Christians to live a certain way, um, and I believe that when we know what it is He desires of us, and when we're actually able to live it, it gives us a sense of purpose and meaning we otherwise would not have. So we've been doing this uh, this message series called The God Mandate, and it's Come from Micah chapter 6 verse 8 and we've been looking at it for the last 3 weeks and we're concluding it today but it's God telling mankind listen if you're looking for purpose if you're looking for meaning this is what I, what I expect of you um, he says this he goes he has shown you O mortal what is good um, and what does the Lord require of you this is what God requires of all of us is simply that we would act justly that we would love mercy and that ultimately we would walk humbly before our God. And so over the last three weeks, we've been talking about this. We started off a couple weeks ago talking about what it meant to act Justly. And I've talked about how in today's world, we, we've lost the concept of justice. It's become so incredibly skewed um, that justice is supposed to be blind. And I really challenged you that as you seek to desire justice in your life, that it would be blind, that right would be right and wrong would be wrong. And it doesn't matter if you like someone or you don't like someone or someone's your friend or not your friend, that, that, that you would seek to, uh, to act justly as God calls for us to do. Last week, I talked about loving mercy and what that looked like, and I talked about how mercy is one of those weird things. It's like we want mercy for ourselves, and we know this because when you're speeding down the road, you're hoping that if you get pulled over, the cop will have mercy on you. But we don't always like mercy for other people because when the person passes you when you're speeding down the road, you hope that they get pulled over and get a ticket. And so we talked about what it was like to, to love mercy and to en- enact mercy in the lives of people around you, and I hope over the past week you have been intentional about showing people some mercy in your life. Now we're going to conclude the, the, the message series with the third piece of what God uh, desires from us, and, and honestly, this is going to be, uh, what we're talking about today is probably the hardest of the three. I mean, you might think that, that justice can be difficult. Eh, it's really not. Um, mercy, uh, listen, mercy can sometimes be difficult. But, but I think this is the most difficult one, walking humbly before God, because we, we're in a very me-focused society today, and humility is hard to find today, probably more than ever. In fact, we're told in Scripture that as we approach the end of times, the, the, the world will become increasingly wicked, mainly because there's gonna be a lack of humility in the world. Look at Second Timothy 3, 1 to 2. This is Paul writing to Timothy, and he writes this. He says, but understand this, that in the last days, as you're approaching the end of, of time, terrible times will come. Why will the times become terrible? Because people will become lovers of themselves. You see, that is a lack of humility, is that we would love ourselves. That's called pride. So people are going to become lovers of themselves, and they're going to be lovers of money, but they're also going to be boastful, and they're going to be arrogant. So when we look at how, listen, Paul says it's going to be terrible times, and, and it primarily centers around this selfishness, this, this pride, this lack of humility, as people elevate Self, and they're also proud and they're arrogant. And, you know, as we look at at the world, the last couple years, I mean, you would think that we only really had one problem in this world, and that problem is, is is the pandemic, like COVID. And for two years, like, the world stopped, and it's changed everything that we do and how we do it, how you go in the hospitals, how long you're out when you're sick, how you do this, and what you, you know, there's all these different requirements because of something called COVID, um, a pandemic of COVID, but I'm here to tell you there's a different pandemic that that just, that COVID pals in comparison to the pandemic of pride. That Paul says that in the last days, pride is going to be a problem in the world. The world's going to be extremely wicked. So if we're going to look at the societal damage that a pandemic of, of COVID has caused, uh, that, that is nothing compared to this pandemic of pride that has overtaken uh, our land and, and the world uh, in which we live. And it's only going to get worse. It's a pandemic of self-centeredness. Now we see that all around us. Um, uh, you know, as I was thinking about this message, I'm kind of thinking, you know what? Self centeredness and pride, I think that's how, like, you know, for you know, seven, 10,000 years, however long the earth's been around, there's always been like a he, she, and then, an, well, they say a he and a she. But now we got like 20 varieties. And it's it's a result of this wickedness that comes, of pride in which we can elevate ourselves now to really be a law unto ourselves to determine what we wanna be, and we can be whatever we want. We do whatever's right in our own eyes. My daughter um, is a senior in high school, my youngest, and uh, she was telling me this past week that uh, in one of the classes they had to introduce like another person from the class, and, and she wasn't having to, but one of her friends was having to introduce this person who it was unclear what that person's gender even was anymore. And I don't know if the person was going from he to she or she to he, or had been he to she and then back to he, or any literally like the 20 stops in between. But her friend, this high schooler, is struggling with how to introduce this person. And how crazy is that in today's day and age, like a kid has like doesn't even know how to induce a kid to the class. And so her friend says to the person she's introducing, she says, How should I refer to you? And the person says, Refer to me as Z. Z. Okay, so Z this and Z that, and you know, I don't know if that's like a new thing. Or like like I can just, you know, I can self-identify as being a G? And maybe you a bee? I, I, I don't know. But what it is, is like, as people are lovers of themselves, we can redefine reality based upon just how we want it to be. Not to mention, we see this, this lover uh, being a lover of, of ourselves and, and just the world in which we live today, and that every one of us in here probably has a fan club, you know, it used to be when I was a kid, like, you know, if you're a rocker, you had a fan club. If you're a professional athlete or, you know, a movie star, you had a fan club. Now everyone has fan clubs. It's called Facebook, it's called Instagram, and it's called Twitter. And some of you have, like, over a thousand people that are part of your fan club. And they, like, like, you post things all day saying the stuff that you're doing, and people, like, Sharing, they're following it and, and, and you follow other people and like really did you know that there's 93 million selfies taken a day now like, wh- whoever thought of that like i'm older they, they actually had polaroids when i was a kid anyone here like have polaroids did you ever take a selfie with a polaroid no Cameras were meant for you to take pictures of other people so that you could remember what they look like. If you want to know what you look like, you just look in a mirror. Or to take a picture of like a scenery or something like that. Somewhere in that, like it became about me. In 2015, I don't know what it is now. I can find a more current like number. But in 2015, uh, Google said that there were 24 billion selfies uploaded to their servers. 24 billion. And, and like selfies are, are like, they're dangerous. They're not only like, I mean, it's not only dangerous spiritually speaking because it's about me, 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 but they're like physically dangerous. Do you know that a selfie is more dangerous than swimming in the ocean? More people die by selfie every year than by shark. Because as people are trying to get that perfect picture, they're backing up in the street and they're getting hit, or they're backing up and they're falling off a cliff, more people die by selfie than by shark. But this is the world in which we live. It, it, that's why I said, it, it's hard to even find humility in the world today. And here's a problem with pride as pride is ultimately, it, it's the root cause of sin. When you think of the original sin that was the original sin before the original sin, um, it it was as a result of pride. What what was the original sin before the original sin? Well, that's the sin of Satan. And and what we see in it is, at its root, is pride that that Satan, though being created, wanted to be greater than the creator, and he leads a rebellion uh, because he wants to be greater than God, and he fails in that rebellion, and he and his followers are cast out of heaven. And, and then so when Satan wants to stick it to God and, and, and destroy God's creation, he does the same thing. He creates pride in mankind. And by pride, he says to Adam and Eve, well, God just doesn't, he didn't want you to eat of this one tree that he told you not to. He did it because he knows that if you do, you're going to be more like him. He doesn't want you to be more like him, but don't you want to be more like God? And their pride's like, yeah, yeah. And so then they do it. And, 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 and so the sin of Satan and the sin of man is the same. And, and almost all sin stems, from pride. Proverbs 16:18 says this: Pride goes before the destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And then Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. This is uh, one of my favorite passages, because there, there's six things that the Lord hates, and hate is a powerful word. So we need to pay attention when it says there's six things the Lord hates, but what's funny is that there's seven that he can't stand. Now, I don't know what's the difference between him not standing and hating it, but nonetheless, look at what the first thing is: a proud look. I mean, It could have started with anything. There's six things that the Lord hates. The very first on there is a proud look. In fact, if you go to number three, it's killing someone. Killing someone could have been first. But why is pride there first? Listen, the Lord hates it. Because it's, it's toxic and it's corrosive to our relationship with God and with each other. And we see it all around us today. Um... Anyone watch, like, the Bucks and the Jets last week? Anyone familiar with the name Antonio Brown? That little fiasco? Listen, I I get that there's, you know probably some mental illness going on there, but there's also a whole lot of pride and if you're not familiar with the story, Antonio Brown got into it apparently with the coaching staff. It depends which side you want to believe, but you know, he wasn't willing to go back in. He said he was hurt. The coaching staff was saying you need to go back in, you know this, it, and, and he just decides he's done. He's like, you know what, anyone that would ask me to do this, like, I'm not you know, I'm too good to be wearing the colors of the team. And so he's, you know, he takes his pads off, he takes his jersey off. He's, you know, throws them in the in the stands and and then he, you know, he's dancing his way out, you know, to the tunnel, and, and and he's out of there, right? Why pride? Pride, he doesn't like to be told what to do. Pride, he doesn't like the fact that he's working for someone. Pride, he doesn't this or that. And you know, the guy that's so injured that he can't go back into play, he wasn't hobbling as he was going off that field. Even in religious circles, we see Pride. In Jesus' day, uh, that was Jesus' big uh, contention with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, is, is that in the end, pride had infiltrated the Pharisees. Why? Because the Pharisees wanted to make it about themselves. They love to be seen as more religious than the others. They love to be seen as having a closer relationship with God. They wanted to be recognized for their achievement. They would wear these fancy robes and that would just make themselves look all, you know, smart and, and better and different than the rest. They love titles of honor. Uh, they, they love to be put in high places in the synagogue. And if you, if you were to have them over to your house for dinner, the expectation was that you would put them, the Pharisee, in the highest place of honor. And, and, and what was Jesus' reaction? How, was, how did Jesus feel about the Pharisees when he walked this earth? Look at Matthew 23, 15. Jesus says this, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you'll go across, uh, you traverse wind and sea to win a single convert. And in so doing, you'll make them twice the son of hell as you are. So, what's Jesus feeling towards a Pharisee? He calls them sons of hell. God hates pride. Why does he hate pride so much? Because in the end, it it, it, it puts ourselves either closer to God, or for many people, it, it will elevate self even above God. It, it, pride also skews God's law and what's right and what's wrong, because in pride we think we know better, and in pride, you know, we become a law unto ourselves, and so we decide to make a Things that just don't make sense, like that there's 20 genders and the million other things that are going on in the world today. Ultimately, pride destroys civilization. And God has created this world, and as pride, pride is caustic to it, it will destroy the world. And, and so God hates pride, and, and, and we're told, once again, Paul to Timothy, that as the world comes closer to an end, it will become, <clears throat> become extremely wicked. Why? Because pride is like acid eating away and corroding it, and it gives us what we have today. But Micah tells us that as we seek to live lives that are pleasing to God, that there's ways that we should behave which are different, which is acting justly, loving mercy, and then walking humbly before God. So if pride is so hated by God, how do we, um, how do we walk humbly before God in a world in a day and age in which the, uh, pride is just all around us? Um, we can look at the Bible for a few examples. When I think of... Humility in the Bible, I have to tell you, I I think of um, Jesus comes first to mind. That Jesus, though being equal to God, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, so he humbled himself and became obedient. Scripture says that our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. So Christ Jesus humbled himself, so we ought to also uh, demonstrate and live out that same humility he did all the more. Uh, Jesus says he didn't come into this world to be served But to serve. If you were here for my message on Christmas Eve, I talked about how God, when He came into this world, literally humbled Himself, literally took a knee for humanity. And what is our response supposed to be back? It's to take a knee back to God, that we would be humbled back to Him. So the greatest example in Scripture that we see of humility has to be Jesus. But when I go through Scripture, most of you will go and like look at someone like Paul to, and think of Paul as, as humble, and, and I do want to get to Paul, but next to Jesus, the person that I think, when I think of humility in Scripture, has got to be Moses. Now, what's funny is, is Scripture even says of Moses how humble he was. Um, what's really funny is Moses apparently wrote numbers, uh, so this would be Moses writing it about himself, but we don't really think he did write it about himself. We think a scribe added this in later because a humble person went and said, this about themselves, but look at Numbers 12.3 is what it says about Moses. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more than all the people on the face of the earth. So Moses is more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth when he lived. What makes Moses so humble? Well, because Moses, Moses was humble because Moses didn't live for himself. He lived for God. Remember, God called Moses from a burning bush. Moses was just doing his thing. He was raising a family. He was tending his father-in-law's livestock, and and God calls for him and tells him to go back to Egypt and and take Israel uh, and deliver him out of Egypt. Moses didn't want to go, but God commanded him to, so he went. What was Moses' reward for? it? Did they give Moses a nice little crown as their leader? No, they didn't give him a crown. Did they give him a comfy chair? No, they didn't give him a comfy chair. Did they give him a really nice house that he got to? No, they were always moving around. Yeah, Moses didn't get anything. What did Moses get? The people complained like nonstop because in fact, the people wanted to kill Moses half the time because they, they didn't like the fact that they had to wander around for 40 years. But yet Moses did it. He didn't get anything from it. He didn't get a really good paycheck. He didn't get rich from it. There's nothing that he got from it, but he did it. Why? Because God asked that he's willing to set aside his own wants and desires simply because God had asked him to, and in that we see his humility. When I think of people in Scripture, I think of Noah as being a humble person. Now, I don't know if Noah's a humble person. The Bible doesn't say that Noah's a humble person. doesn't say that he wasn't a humble person. But we do know this, that, that in Noah's day, everyone was selfish and it was about them, but Noah was different. He wasn't that way. We know this, that when God came to Noah and said, you know what, I want you to spend the next hundred years of your life building a boat, he doesn't seem to complain about it, he just does it. So I see Noah a lot like I see Moses. And, and, and when I start with Jesus and I you know, go through you know, Moses and then Noah, then you know what, I, I, I think Paul needs to be recognized for his humility. Now here's what's interesting about Paul is Paul's a Pharisee, so Paul's a son of hell. Paul describes how you know he has every reason to brag. He was trained by the uh, you know the most brilliant minds of the day, and 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 he was you know a very uh, up and coming you know competent, capable you know just he had a lot of accolades. But yet Paul was changed uh, because of his encounter with Christ. What Paul ends up saying of himself is, you know, what of all the apostles, I'm the least. He doesn't say, I'm the best. He doesn't say, I'm the favorite. He said, I'm the least. And, and you know, Paul says of the sinners, you know, you know, he's like, he doesn't say, yeah, I'm, I, I do pretty good. You know, he's like, I'm the worst of all the sinners. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the worst of the sinners. And it's Paul who tells us that this is how we should view life. Look at Philippians 2, 3. This comes from Paul. Paul says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, always value other people, see other people as better than yourself. Now, how do you make a son of hell so humble? Well, in an encounter with Christ. So when we're living in a a world in which humility is hard to be found, the good news is, is as our relationship with Christ goes, grows, then, then we, even though we live in a, a, a world that has no humility, we can become more and more humble as a result of our encounters with Christ as well. So for the remainder of the time, I want to uh, just talk a little bit this morning um, about what humility is, and then I want to talk about what humility isn't. Um, as we seek to walk humbly before God. So um, in your bulletin, I listed out like just some different points if you're wanting to kind of study this uh, throughout the week or so forth. Uh, There's a number of points, um, and I think it's mostly accurate. I might have changed a point or two yesterday as I was uh, preparing to preach this, but um, for the most part, uh, it's how it's listed there in the bulletin. But the first is this. Humility is putting you... Above me, we see this in Jesus. Jesus, it's never about him, right? It's always about the, the the people that he's serving. We see this in Moses. It's never Moses didn't want to do it. It was never about what he wanted to do. It was about doing what God's called him to do. We see that in Paul. Paul's like walking thousands upon thousands of miles on his missionary journey. He's getting beat up. He's getting beat to the point of death. He's being shipwrecked. Paul has more stuff happen to him. It's it's, but he doesn't. He doesn't care. It's about, it's about other people. It's not about him. He, you want to know, like, this is how you can tell if someone's humble or not. Ask someone, what, what would you do if you won the lottery? Or, or ask someone, you know, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Or if you could do anything in the world, what would you want to do? Or You can even ask like, someone that's humble and say, hey, if you have a prayer request, what, what are your prayer requests? And if you ask really any of those questions to someone who's humble, you know what they're going to do? They're going to be like, um, I don't know what I'd do if I won the lottery. I don't know where I'd go if I could go anywhere. I don't even know what my prayer request would be. Why? Because they're always thinking about other people, not themselves. So humility is when you put the you before the me. Humility is knowing your place before God. You, 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 this is like, I don't know how God puts up with it. Man just thinks that man's better than what, what man is. You know, we, we have this view that we're gonna kind of live forever. We, we think that like we have this great significance, like our world, the world would fall apart if we weren't, you know, in it. Like our jobs would fall apart. Like, man, my company would really be hurt if I didn't, you know, didn't come to work today. Um, or man, my family, they'd be lost without me. We just have this overinflated view of ourselves Ourselves. We don't really understand our place before God. Well, if you've got an overinflated view of yourself, you know, I, I encourage you, and I've said this before, but, you know, if you're feeling really good about yourself, maybe a little bit better than you should, then, then when you wake up first thing in the morning, take, you know, thank God and, and take that first deep breath of air into your lungs and, and then quickly expel it into your hands and breathe it back in first thing in the morning. And see if you feel that good about yourself anymore. Or, or or look at yourself before you, like, get yourself all prettied up for the day. That'll be a reality check. I'm going to be here to tell you, and I'm not lying, and no one else has said this happens to them, so I'm starting to feel a little self-confident, but my phone doesn't recognize me for the first five minutes every morning. I'm, like, trying to get it to unlock, and, I, I mean, I can't even see, and you got to, like, put it in the passcode because it, it won't recognize me for the first five minutes, right? It, it, Look at yourself first thing in the morning. That will get you a proper perspective of yourself. What does God say of us? Genesis three nineteen: uh, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground because from it you were taken. For dust you are and dust you will return. You see, all you are is what? Dust what? Say it. Thank you. And if you're under 50, you just can't get it. All you are is dust in the wind. It's a song. If I could sing, I'd sing it to you, but I can't. That's all we are. Don't think of yourselves any more highly than you ought. You're just some dust in the wind. Humility is knowing that we only exist because of God, you know, once again, we, we have this sense of permanence about ourselves, like we're significant, like we kind of control our destiny, but you know what, that's what is always so amazing about when a tornado whips through, through a town and, and, and it like has a mile-wide path, that it explodes homes, it, it kills, you know, dozens of people. What's even crazier than that is when you watch the video of like tsunamis, like the one in Japan or, you know, uh, Indonesia, different things, when, when that wall of water just comes in and it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going keeps going and keeps going. And, and then like it pulls, I mean, you're watching like 20,000 people die like instantaneously. The only reason I'm able to stand up here and speak is because God has, has chosen to allow me to speak. The only reason that this world exists is because God's favor is upon it. And if he was to remove his favor upon this world, we would be gone in a millisecond but we're like that person who builds that sand castle on, on, on the shore of, uh, of the coast. And, and we've all seen that where like, it seems like, it, you know, it's far enough up the beach and they just build this amazing sand castle, this amazing sculpture. And you look at it and it's huge. And, and, and man, it must have taken them 12 hours to do it. And you're thinking, I'm thinking when I look at it, man, like th- th- this thing can probably be here for months. This is impressive. It's a mammoth. No, I just wait till the tide comes in and one or two waves come. The only reason we're alive this morning is God chose for you to be alive. And when he chooses for you to not, you won't be. Humility is living in fear of God. You know, the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but I would also say that the fear of God is the beginning of humility because we just in the church nowadays we we just we don't really have a reverence of God we don't have a fear of God it used to be when you prayed even when i was a kid you, you there'd be kneelers and you'd be on your knees and then your head would be down and and, and you know it, it, you you think of how muslims pray you think about how even the jews pray at the wailing wall i mean the modern church nowadays like we, we just talk to God like he's our our good friend we look up straight up and it's like high five God you know yo you know it, like there's there's not fear. But anytime in Scripture that, that man encounters God, there, there's, there's fear, there's humility because we're nothing compared, we're the created before the creator. Look at Isaiah 6, 1 to 5. This isn't unique to Isaiah. Anytime that God encounters man, it's the same story over and over again. But this is Isaiah's encounter. He said, I saw the Lord high and exalted. He was seated on the throne and the train of the Lord, of his robe, filled the temple. Now above him, there's seraphim. There's angels that minister in, their, in his presence and they've got six wings. But even these angels that minister in the presence of God on a daily basis with two of the wings, they're covering their faces because they're not able to, to, to see and to look upon the holy God. And they cover their feet. And with the remaining two, they fly. And they're calling out and crying to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, for the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices singing, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. There's humility, there ought to be, between us in the presence of our holy God. Humility is surrendering our will to God's will. You know, we all have these plans for our lives. You know, we have bucket lists, like, wait, you know, what do you want to do before you die? And you know, like a lot of us, man, I'd like to go to Europe. Oh, man, I'd like to skydive. Maybe I'd like to, you know, climb a mountain. You know, all the, we have all these different bucket lists that we like to do but honestly ask a humble person what's your bucket list and you know, the, the humble person I'd be like you know I, I don't know I don't really have a bucket list I just want to walk in obedience before god now, I'm not here to say that like, God hasn't given us the world to enjoy. It's not like you know, he expects you to be in a dark room and you have to chant 12 hours a day. But, but your life shouldn't be guided by what you just want to do and accomplish in life. It should be guided by walking humbly before him, walking in obedience to him. Think about Jesus before he was, you know, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had his will, and he had to to learn to ultimately surrender that that will to his Father. He cried out to God. He said, you know what? If there's any other way that mankind can be redeemed, uh, Father, please do it. But if there's no other way, not, not what I want, but what you want, your will be done. Jesus' followers asked him how to pray. I, mean, I can't tell you, like, we have to pay attention to the Lord's prayer uh, because there's, you know, to me, like, if, if, like I, if someone's asking Jesus how to pray, I mean, I would have thought he would have pages of, well, you should pray this, this, this. and it's, it's a short prayer. But one of the things that he says in the prayer is when you should pray, what you pray is your kingdom come and your will be done. And what that means is that we're surrendering our will to what God's will is. It's what God calls for us to do. You know, sometimes we get so frustrated because we've got our plans and we've got our desires and then like it doesn't happen. And we even will say like God had something else in mind and we can become so frustrated at that. You know what? A humble person rejoices in the fact that God will change our plans because in the end, it's his will, not our own. Uh, Another way to kind of understand this concept, uh, if you're a a fan of 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 Marvel and of uh, Doctor Strange, uh, there's that that scene in uh, the uh, in in the first movie in which uh, the Sorcerer Supreme lady she's she's about to die, and he finally figures out that like he can he can channel these this energy and this power that he has so that his hands will be you know steady again, and he can return to being this world-renowned surgeon that he was, and he says. You mean I could go back to to the life and and do that? And she's like, yes. And the world would be all the worse for it. I mean, he might be better for it, but the world would be all the the worse. And so it is with us. I mean, we we can live for ourselves, but if we live for ourselves, the world will be all the worse for it. When we live for, for God, the world will be all the better. Humility is serving our fellow man and expecting nothing in return. You know, so oftentimes, you know, people that are humble will spend a lot of time serving other people because they put other people first. But even for those of us maybe who are good at that, we have to be honest, like, we do expect things in return. I have to tell you, like, if I'm doing something for someone, I I expect a stinking thank you, right? Right? I expect the person will at least appreciate it. Some people are worse than that. I mean, some people are like, they'll only do things for people who might be, do something back for them. It's like, you know, I'm gonna help someone, but like, if I, hey, I'm i helping you, I'm doing you a favor and, and, and give me a favor back. You know, some people just aren't gonna waste their time with someone that doesn't have the opportunity to bless them back if they're blessing them. But I have to tell you this, like, I've understood humility in a different way uh, serving a father who has Alzheimer's. Because especially as that's advanced, I have to tell you, it's, it's a whole nother experience when you can sit there and do something all day long and spend hundreds of dollars in a whole day's worth of work doing it, and it won't even be remembered the next day. And you really want to ask yourself, well, if it's not going to be remembered, should I even bother? But that's because you're expecting something in return humility is is that you expect nothing in return and that's how we see Jesus serving us you know when Jesus washes disciples feet and what did he get in return Jesus took the message of god's word to all the towns and you know walked for you know miles uh, miles and hundreds of miles spreading that what did he get in return uh, Jesus healed the multitudes what did he get in return never anything But he did it. You know, the only thing that I can think of that Jesus ever got in return for what he did was when he was, like, young, he got some gifts from the Magi. And prior, so that was, like, at his birth. And then near his death, he had uh, Mary that washed his feet with perfume and dried uh, his feet with his hair. In between, like, he got nothing. Nothing. Yet he did it. And there we see humility. And then... My last of what humility is, before I just touch a few things of what humility is not, is humility comes from realizing just what God has done for us and, and the extent of the gift. Have you ever been given a gift that is so so generous that it just makes you just feel uncomfortable? If you have, I mean, th- that brings some humility in that because you know you're not deserving of it and, and you you almost, you, you, you're just overwhelmed, ashamed, whatever. It just makes you feel uncomfortable. You, you're just not worthy of it. It's how it is with God. And when we understand the extent of his gift, then we find humility in that. You see, what did we deserve from God? We deserved, like... His punishment. We deserve God's wrath. We deserved hell. But what does God give us? He doesn't give us punishment, wrath. God takes punishment. God takes wrath. God takes hell for you and I. When you think about Jesus on the cross, what does Jesus do on the cross? He has to feel the the, the total absence of his father being with him. That as Jesus is breathing in his last breath, just as he needs that that, that that strength and that emotional support from his father all the most, Jesus doesn't feel it at all. So that he has to cry out, My God, my God, God, why have you abandoned me? He does that so that when you and I are breathing our last breath, that we don't have to feel that abandonment from God. In fact, it's usually just the opposite. When you hear of people who die in faith and their loved ones are around, a lot of times they're like, wow, they'll they'll look to to the corner, they'll say they see a light, they'll have this experience. We don't have to feel that abandonment as we breathe our last breath because God took it for us on the cross in Jesus Christ. When we realize that, there's an amazing sense of, of humility that comes as a result. Now, just three things that, if that's what humility is, here's what humility is not. Humility is not weakness. People think of of humility as, as, you know what, humble people, they don't get anywhere. That's just weak. It's not weak. It's actually immensely powerful. How does Christ defeat the pride of Satan? Pride, like pride, how how does God defeat pride? He defeats pride through humility. How does, how does God defeat the pride of, of Pilate and the pride of the Pharisees and the powers of this world that were to put him to death? It was through humility that God defeats it. I, I've mentioned this before that, you know, that uh, several years ago, there was a book that was written, Good to Great, and it, it looked at what is the difference between great companies that are just like none have ever been before and really good companies, and at least back then, because I wonder if it would be the same way now, but back then, the author, as he examined these companies that just took it to a level that no other company ever did, there was one secret sauce, there was one secret ingredient that separated really good companies from just uh, great companies, and it was the humility of the leader. Because in the end, like pride and arrogance, you get in the way of yourself. When you're humble, you don't get in the way of yourself. And when you're humble, there's gonna be way more people that wanna give, serve, and give up everything for, you know, someone that's humble versus someone who's not. There's not weakness in humility. There's an amazing strength in humility and people oftentimes think humility is being uncertain like someone that's humble should just be quiet and not say anything at all let me ask you was jesus that way was jesus kind of quiet was he a little timid was jesus like when the, the when the pharisees would would question him was he like oh man did i, did I get this right you know, was, you know was he checking it like making you know or or, or was he just like bold he was extremely bold was Moses, as he was leading the people, you know, was he kind of like, you know, timid and uncertain or whatever? No. I mean, the people are yelling against him. They want to stone him and they want to kill him, but he's just, he's, he's leading because, you know, it, it, there's extreme confidence. How about Paul? Paul led with all kinds of confidence. Why? Because in the end, like, if, if, you're, if you're leading based upon your faith and your relationship with God, you're going to have way more confidence than someone who's leading uh, based upon themselves. So being humble actually means you have more confidence than if you're not. And then the last thing that I want to say that humility isn't is uh, humility isn't that you're not good at things. Jesus was pretty good at everything. Actually, he's really good. He was great at everything. Paul was, he was a great teacher. Moses, he was a great leader. Noah was pretty decent at shipbuilding. You can be really good at things and still being humble. In fact, if you're really good at something and humble, that makes you even greater. There's nothing more impactful than a professional athlete that's humble. It's why we don't like Antonio Brown, because he's not humble. But you show us a professional athlete that is better than anyone else, but still doesn't think he's any different than anyone else, and wow, that's powerful. There's nothing more inspiring than a famous person, a, a politician, a movie star that, 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 that has fame and money like we could never imagine. But, you know, if you're standing there in the grocery store next to them, they'll talk to you like you're, you're just, you know, their next door neighbor or someone that they've known their whole life. There's nothing more powerful than that. And there's nothing more powerful for God on this earth than a strong and gifted Christian that is humble that doesn't take pride in it that that is somehow theirs or 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 theirs to take any sense of pride over but that ultimately it's god and it's about him what is humility in the end i would suggest this humility is this it's putting god putting good and putting others first humility is putting god first putting good first and putting others first Scripture tells us that if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift us up. Matthew 23, 12, Jesus says this, for if you exalt yourself, if you think you are at anything of significance, you will be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. If you wanna live with intentionality, if you wanna live with purpose, if you wanna live with significance in 2022, I would encourage you to remember these words of Micah. To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God.